the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good Sunday evening, everybody. Ron Geyer back again with more teaching from the book of Revelation. Uh, We got started on Revelation uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And we were talking about the commendations that Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus. And I just quickly want to tie up one thought before we go into verse 3. We talked about the fact that they were commended because they were trying the people that said they were apostles. Ephesus, great famous church, great missionary church. People would come over from Rome, try to build a reputation for themselves at Ephesus. If you could preach at Ephesus and they accepted you, you could preach anywhere. Well, Jesus commended them because they were doing such a great job in trying them. They would actually do an examination to find out, hey, is this guy stable? Hey, does this guy have the spirit of God? Is this guy a man of integrity? And it was great. And so they did that and Jesus commended them. And the phrase that we left off on was in verse 2, that some say they are apostles, but they are not, and you have found them to be liars. The Ephesians, they just didn't do a cursory examination. They were diligent. They kept on looking and investigating until they had exhausted all of their resources, or a discovery was made about who these guys really were. The best way to explain the word used here for found and have found them to be liars is Eureka. They had looked and looked and looked, and suddenly it was there in front of them. I have found it. This person is a liar. He did not attend the seminary school of John the Baptist or whatever. You know what I mean? And the actual Greek word is heurisko. We get our word eureka from it. And so Jesus commended them because they just weren't sending anybody out. We need to do a good job about the people we let in our pulpits. I don't think we're bold enough to check them out and make sure. If you say you got a miracle ministry... I want to see the miracles. If you show up and you don't have miracles, you're not coming back again. It's that simple. Verse three, and you have borne and has patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and you have not fainted. And we talked about the word for patience, hupomeno. We talked about the word for labor. It was kopos. And we showed how Jesus congratulated this church because they worked themselves to the bone. They worked to the point of exhaustion. They were not quitting. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Jesus loved this church. This church was a works church. Here Jesus reiterates their good qualities. The word born, remember, and has borne and has patience for my name's sake. You have labored and you have not fainted. So he says you have born. The word born here means to bear responsibility. They bore up well under the stress of operation in such a difficult environment. They exhibited patience and they labored. Notice they did not labor for themselves, though. That could have caused them to faint, made them weary. But they labored for the name of Jesus. 
I think that's a great reminder. All the works we're doing, are we doing them for the name of Jesus? Obviously, these people at Ephesus, they had a, some type of special relationship with the Son of God that kept them from fainting. They knew him, and that knowledge kept them strong and determined, even to the point of exhaustion, to do their assigned task. We must remember, what's our motivation? Am I doing this for my glory? Am I doing this so that people can say, oh, Ron's a great Bible teacher. Oh, Ron's a great guy. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Or am I doing this for Jesus? Am I doing this to exalt the name of Jesus? Am I doing this to bring you into a closer relationship with the Jesus and the God of the Bible? So those are the good things. Five good things that Jesus commended the church at Ephesus for. And number one, he commended them for their works. He commended them for their labor. He commended them for their patience. He commended them that they tried them, would say they were apostles, and he found them to be liars. And he commended them that they could not bear those which were evil. Great job, Ephesians church. Hallelujah. Verse four, though, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I love the fact that Jesus is willing to call us out when we make a mistake. Notice, he really built them up by congratulating them on the things that they were doing well. But now, he's found something that's very dangerous that could cause them great harm. And let's read on. After all of that good stuff, Jesus still has a gripe with the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, all that good stuff does not negate the wrong that you have done. Remember, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. I've got something against thee. The phrase against thee denotes a type of downward strike with the arm, like a hammer or like a blow from above. It's a strike against you. But wait a second, doesn't all that good stuff cancel out the bad? When Jesus says, I have, he is telling them, I am holding something that's very deeply personal to me. It's against you. You've done something and it has wounded me greatly. It's personal because you no longer remember the wonder of knowing me. Oh, that's so fabulous. Remember when you got saved, the wonder of knowing him. Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, Dave Gusick writes this, the warning is driven home. The corrupting influence of legalism and other doctrines that diminish Jesus are like leaven in a lump of dough. A little bit will soon corrupt the entire lump. The problem at Ephesus was not a small problem. It was major. The Ephesians were so busy working, doing the works of God, which they excelled at, they left their first love. Let me read it again. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Most people misquote that. They don't get it right. Note, they didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. They were so busy doing the works, doing what God was doing, they forgot all about God. They forgot all about Jesus. It was not something that they did intentionally. They didn't walk away from it. They forgot about it. Left, the word is aphemi in the Greek. It's not the deliberate abandonment of something, but rather it's an involuntary and unintentional release of something that you once held dear. It means to neglect, to ignore to unintentionally leave something or someone behind to forget something. You have left your first love. The word for love is agape, of course. Verse 5, remember. Now Jesus is going to give them the solution to the problem. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee 
quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Phew, that's a pretty harsh judgment right there, to remove thy candlestick out of its place. Remember, there are seven churches, each represented by a candlestick. And just cutting to the chase, each church is where God placed it. It is each church is in the presence of God. Jesus says, I will remove your candlestick out of his place, except I repent. I will remove you as a church from my presence unless you repent. After Jesus, the head of the church, commends them, compliments them, he then calls them out. He proceeds to give them the solution to their problem. Remember, their problem is spiritual. They have left their first love. He does not give them carnal advice, but he gives them spiritual advice. And you're going to love this. The word for remember, the Greek word actually means grave. Yes, it means grave. It means sepulcher. It means a tomb. Another part of the word combined with that means monument or memorial. The meaning here is that you are not to just remember in vague, abstract terms, but you are to go and dig up the memory where it has been buried. Dig it up, see what it first looked like, and then brush it off, clean it up, put a shine on it, and stick it on your mantle in a place of prominence where you can see it all day, every day, and you will not forget about it again. Basically, Jesus is telling them, resurrect your first love for me. You know, this reminds me of what is happening with our national monuments, right? The left, the Antichrist crowd, they're being systematically destroyed so that we will not remember them. And then we get in trouble. We forgot about these monuments, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial. At the end of the day, they're coming after the cross. Then those who destroyed the monuments will come to our rescue with their plans for a better America. You can't forget what's going on. Once they get the cross out, it's designed to cause us to forget about Christianity. It is the same principle as God gave the Israelites after they crossed the Jordan. He did miracles for them. He destroyed the Egyptian army uh, when he dried it up and got their chariots stuck in the mud. They got halfway across and he opened up the waters again and they drowned. He told them to pile up stones. He told the Jews, pile up stones when you cross over the Jordan. I want a monument signifying how the Lord delivered you. Joshua 4, 1 through 7. The Jews were supposed to take their children once a year and bring them back to the altar or the monument of the cairn of stones that they were placed by the Israelites who had crossed. And then I want you to tell your children what happened. That's why it's so important, the traditions, the family traditions. We do that at Christmas all the time. I want you to do this about the gospel. I want you to do this, Ephesus, about when you first loved me. I want you to talk about the first love or the early love, the first works or the early works. I want you to go back to that day when you first were struck in awe about the wonder of me. Recall it and put it back into practice again. In the same principle God gave the Israelites, he does it all the time. From whence thou art fallen... This was no sudden downfall by the church at Ephesus. This was a subtle, long-term slide down the road to forgetfulness. You know, and it, it happens. I mean, they just got so busy, they forgot about the spiritual aspect of their relationship. They forgot about the communion and the sweet fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bad news was, though, according to the way this is written, from whence thou art fallen, it was a downfall that had already been completed. That's why resurrection was dead. You don't resurrect things that are alive. You resurrect things that are dead. And Jesus said, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Whoa, Jesus told the church to repent. Well, 
I thought that's not necessary. That's not what we've been taught by these famous preachers. You repent, brother. You repent. You repent all day long. As often as you think you may have missed the mark, you repent. You get cleaned up. You get back in fellowship with God. That's another reason why they could have fallen without even recognizing it, because they weren't bothering to repent of their sins. And at some point, your heart gets cold and it builds up this plaque, spiritual plaque, I call it, where you can no longer hear like you heard in the beginning when God speaks to you. Repent. Jesus tells him twice in this one verse to repent. Let's look at this one more time. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove your candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He says it twice. Jesus wants them to repent because he knows it's the solution to their problem. Now, there's some misunderstanding about this word repent, and it's important that you understand it. The Greek word is metanoel, and it translates like this, meta, meaning after or change, change. Noel, meaning perceive. It translates as after perceiving, after recognizing that you've done something wrong, change. Metanoeos, N-O-U-S, when used as a verb, it will change the seat of moral reflection. You're to think about your sin. You're to be convicted by your sin. That's the job of the Holy Spirit of God. You're to recognize it as sin, and then you're supposed to repent of it, turning away from it with the mindset that you will never go back to that place again. That's repentance. Renner, Rick Renner writes it like this. It pictures a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. A decision to completely change or entirely turn around in the way one is thinking, believing, or living. A total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in a behavioral change. Some people will say, no, let's just change your mind. That is not repentance. Repentance affects your whole spirit, soul, and body. It affects every aspect of your soul, your emotions, your intellect. It affects every cell in your being. Repentance is a whole body experience. Many people are in confusion and they don't understand the difference between being repentant and being remorseful. People don't understand this, why Judas killed himself and yet he didn't get saved if he repented. Matthew 27, 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Okay, well, if he repented, then he should have got forgiven and everything should be fine, right? Well, the Greek word there for repent it's not the same metanoeo. Metanoeo. The Greek word used there for repented, it is metamelomai, and it means remorse. There's a difference between having remorse and repenting. Many of the hypergrace crowds simplify this to render repent as to just change one's mind, to change one's way of thinking. But included in the Greek was the moral implication behind this change, which doesn't come from the mind, but it comes from the heart. In the Old Testament, the word for repent is shub, S-C-H-U-W-B. And it's the Old Testament word, and it means to move away, to retreat from one's prior position with the determined intention of never going back. Repenting is so much more than a mental exercise. It's reflected in our minds and our actions, but it's brought about by a spiritual act. Repentance is spiritual, known as conviction, and it involves our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. The conviction was brought about by our Lord's words of assessment. He told them what was wrong, what their error was, how they missed the mark, because they stopped and they thought about it. The Holy Spirit was then able to convict them and bring godly sorrow. Jesus began the process of repentance in the church 
First, by identifying our sin, and second, by providing a solution. Conviction will always come with hope. Many in our church don't want to talk about sin. They feel that the world beats up people. Well, I'm not going to tell them about their sin. They know they're sinners. Maybe they do and maybe they don't. But it's your job not to try to figure it out more so than the wisdom of God. You bow to the wisdom of God. If God says John the Baptist came preaching the gospel of repentance, if the Bible says Jesus came preaching the gospel of repentance, the very first act of your new birth in Christ is you repenting. If we skip that step, you're only playing church and you are not building a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, do the first works. Go back and do the first works. When one truly repents, actions will bear witness. Jesus said the same things John the Baptist said when he called for repentance. He told them, John the Baptist, bring forth therefore fruits meant for repentance. Fruits, works, the meaning is the same. Put up or shut up. Let your works prove your heart. Neither of them said, tear your clothes, weep, fall on your face. They said, show me your heart by the works that you do. And Jesus told them how to fix their problems. He told them what would happen if they didn't. Uh Uh-oh. This is a Bible, Jesus, we don't share, we don't dare talk about. It gets so much worse than this as we get into the church at Smyrna, at Thyatira, at Pergamos. You cannot believe how Jesus is going to deal with the church. This is just a little warm-up. Repent or else. (laughs) That was a big famous word of my mom and dad growing up in my house. (laughs) I got a lot of or else's. Hallelujah. Repent or else. That is my attention. This is not an idle threat. Jesus is warning the church at Ephesus. I will come unto thee quickly. I will remove your candlestick out of his place. Quickly is defined as suddenly, without delay. It will surprise you. I will come so quickly, you're not even going to recognize it's going to surprise you. It's going to knock your socks off. And I will remove your candlestick. This is the else in repent or else. Jesus threatens to remove the church from its place. If you continue working without the loving part, the intimacy of his presence part, you will lose the presence of God from your assembly or congregation. Out of his place. This does not say out of your place or out of the place. It says you will be removed from his place, his presence. Your church isn't going to be what's being removed, the place of the church. It's going to be moved from his place presence. You no longer will have the presence of Jesus Christ in your church. How can you have a church which belongs to the Jesus Christ without the presence of Jesus Christ? It's having a baseball team without your manager, having a football team without its coach. You just can't play the game. Who's going to give you the game plan? Many churches are operating in sin, and therefore they are having church where there's no Holy Spirit. There's no presence of Jesus Christ. This is serious, serious business with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many will say at the new birth, that's when you repent. You only repent once because all your sins at that point are washed out forever. The ones you've done and the ones you're going to commit down the road. Many say as a Christian, that's it. One time repentance. This passage right here gives the lie to that doctrine, does it not? These are born again believers Jesus is talking to. They are on fire for Christ. They're winning the lost. They're working light in darkness. And yet Christ right here, They're they're working to the point of exhaustion, and yet they needed to repent. And guess what, saints? So do you. Verse 6, But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also have. Jesus is going to finish with another uh, commendation for the guys. The Nicolaitans, Jesus keeps coming back to complimenting this church. He just can't get away from it. That's how much he loves them. And I believe that's because he knows they're going to repent. Once more, as he praises them for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which... 
He does also. Christians aren't to hate much, but sin and the works of sin are at the top of that list. Miseo, it's the strongest word in Greek in the Bible for hate, and it means to abhor, to detest, to be repulsed by something. Jesus was not repulsed by the Nicolaitans. Get that straight. He didn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You must get that revelation. Jesus can hate the works that you're doing and still have a loving relationship with you. That won't last for long, though. We, as a church, we have got to deal with these problems that we get into by our false doctrines, by our carnality, by our, it seems so easily, ability to compromise with the world. Jesus said the influence of the Nicolaitans was very harmful to this church. The Greek word is a compound word, Nike, or Nike, meaning to conquer, and Laos, Nicolaitans, Nicolaus, meaning the laity, or layman, or just regular folks like you and I. The compound word means to conquer and to subdue the common people. Now, this is important. I'm going to get into this much more uh, in the following week. I guess I'm going to need, well, now we can pick up and start. It doesn't matter. But concerning the Nicolaitans, early church fathers, they understood that the believer's doctrine of the Nicolaitans, remember Nicolaitan means to exert power over or to conquer the laity. And the thing that they were causing the laity to do is they were full of compromise. They were teaching them. Remember when Paul said, don't eat meat sacrificed unto idols? You know, the big deal behind that was that Paul didn't want the saints going into the temples. That's where you bought the meat and you had to go into the temples where idol worship was and this meat was dedicated unto idols. And it wasn't so much that Paul was worried about the meat. You know, the Bible says the food that we eat is sanctified by the prayer, the word of prayer and the giving of thanks. Paul did not want them hanging out in that environment. He knew it was dangerous. He knew it would cause them to compromise. Well, the Nicolaitans said it was okay to eat meat sacrificed unto idols. You had to eat, go there. Another form of compromise the Nicolaitans were promoting, most of these churches, they operated under the guild system. They worked in guilds. If you were employed, you were employed in a guild system. And a guild system was comparable to today's unions. And like in the church over at Thyatira, for sure, man, we'll get into this later, but Thyatira was a military outpost to protect the city of Pergamos, and the only jobs there, you had to work in a guild. You had to join the guild. The problem with that was that the guilds, every guild had its own idol. And in order to keep your job, you had to attend these meetings. And you attended these meetings. You pledged obeisance to these idols. These meetings, there was drinking. It turned into debauchery. There was sexual depravity going on there. And that was what these meetings did. And the Nicolaitans had the doctrine, well, look, you're a Christian. You got to eat, man. You got to keep your job. You got to bring the tithe into the church, right? So they said, look, God knows that your spirit is saved, but your flesh has not been saved yet. And so your flesh is going to do these things. That's the natural bent of the flesh. But don't worry about it. Your spirit is saved. You can always get forgiven, but you got to have a job. So they were teaching the people. They were exerting their power over them not to uh, discourage them from going into the temples to get the meat that they needed to eat, from going to these guild meetings where they would go ahead and compromise so that they could keep their jobs. Now, 
Most of these people that got born again, they were Jews and they were also pagans. They came out of a pagan lifestyle. So they understood all about the guilds. They understood about it. They've been working at these jobs for 10, 20, 30 years. And these were like, my daddy worked in the mine, your daddy worked in the mine, I'm going to work in the mine. And this was a huge problem over there for the saints. And so many of them, when they heard this doctrine by the Nicolaitans, they go, this is great, man. I can keep my job. I can keep my job. I can provide for my family. Little did they know Jesus hated it. He hated the compromise that it brought about in their lives. He knew the danger that was being brought into the church by these type of doctrines. That's why Jesus went out of his way to say in verse 6, But this you have, which I also have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So obviously the church was sticking to biblical doctrine. They were telling their charges. They were telling their congregations, no, don't compromise. Don't pay attention to the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Don't follow their doctrines. They are causing you to compromise. They will take you down. They will cause you to lose your faith in Christ Jesus. And so it was very important that Jesus let them know that they were doing a good job in that regard. We have the same charge in our churches. We need to do a better job. We'll pick up, we'll finish the teaching on the church at uh, Ephesus next week. Uh, We love you guys. I hope you're enjoying this. Just stay tuned, and we'll see you again next Sunday night. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.